will be done. That is the key to living God's will. When the Apostle Paul spoke with the church and the leaders from the church at Ephesus, essentially what he's saying is, I have been living the will of God, and this is what it looks like. If you turn with me in your Bibles to Acts chapter 20, Acts chapter 20, I have been living the will of God, and this is what it looks like. What does living the will of God look like? What will it look like in our lives? Now, so often when we ask that question, we think in terms of geography, where am I supposed to be? Or we think in terms of what am I supposed to do? But that's not what Paul talks about in Acts chapter 20, when he talks about what it's meant for him to live out the will of God. Paul is speaking here to the Ephesian elders. He has worked among the folks at Ephesus for years. He's gotten very close to them. He is on what we know is his third missionary journey. That is, he has traveled around the Roman Empire, planting churches. And this is the third journey or tour that he's taken in that process. And as he travels, this is the last time that he will have interfacing with the folks in Ephesus. He is traveling with a group of eight guys, and they are an ethically diverse group of guys because he gives their names and where they are from. It is significant that when you follow Paul, he never goes about the work by himself. He is always with a group when he goes out to serve the Lord, really showing us the importance of not trying to serve God as a solo act but rather God intends for us to move as a team. And so he's moving with this team on this third missionary journey among them, or Tychius we looked at a few weeks ago, and Luke who is the author of the book of Acts. Now, he is in Miletus. Miletus was an interesting place on the west coast of Asia Minor. It had four harbors, one of which served the port of Ephesus, and it was located about 30 miles north of the city of Ephesus. Acts chapter 20, beginning with verse 17. Now, from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus, that is Paul, and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not count my life of any value, nor is precious to myself, if only I may finish my course in the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Paul says, I have lived and I am living the will of God among you. But how do we live out the will of God? The first way we live out the will of God is as a servant. Now, the Greek word that he uses here when he says, I have served the Lord, verse 19, is the idea that, I ha- that Jesus is the owner of my life. 
Jesus owns me. Jesus owns my life. Jesus owns my future. The Bible says that we have been bought with a price, the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is our master. You see, until we get the authority issue settled in our lives, everything else in our walk with the Lord is going to be out of whack. The first thing that we have to settle is who's the authority in my life? Who is the one that I answer to? Whose orders am I following? Paul said, I have served among you. In other words, Jesus is the final authority. He is the ultimate authority. I'm going and I'm doing what Jesus instructs me to do. He says, I have served, verse 19, the Lord, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials. Serving who? The Lord. I don't give the commands. He gives the commands. Now, the word that this word serving comes from is a root word that all of the words in the New Testament that have serve or slave basically root in, and it is the idea of a servant or a slave who has no rights of his own. In the ancient world out of which Paul wrote, servants or referred to as slaves had no rights of their own under their master. They did whatever the master told them to do. By the same token, it was the master's responsibility to protect them and to provide for all of their needs. So once you were bought by a master, not only did you do what he told you, but it was his job and his responsibility to take care of every need you had. It was also the responsibility of the master to bring out your full potential. Servanthood or slavery in the ancient world was very different than how we tend to think of it in the American context. Servants often in the ancient world served in very high positions in government. They served in very high positions with their masters. They were accountants, bookkeepers, etc. And so what a master would do is he would look at his servant and he would discern what his capacities were and then he would see that those capacities were developed to their full potential and that they were strategically placed either within government or within the community or within his own household to make sure they lived out that potential. When Paul says that I am serving the Lord... His idea here is that Jesus controls me. Jesus has bought me. I'm living out the will of God as a servant of the Lord, doing wherever He wants me to do, wherever He wants me to do it, but also with the idea that He is literally developing me to the full potential of what He has placed inside of me in order to be used of Him. Listen, when you and I walk in the will of God, submitted to the authority of Jesus Christ in our lives, He will not waste one minute of your life. He will not waste one talent that he has placed inside of you. He will work in us and through us for us to live out the full potential of our lives, the full potential of the purpose that he has for us. But it is only in his lordship and under his lordship that we are able to live out the full potential that he has for us. He says, I'm serving the Lord and how am I doing that? I'm doing that in all humility. Now, when Jesus went to illustrate what humility means, he took a child and he placed a child in front of his disciples. And he says, if you're going to serve me, you've got to do it as a child. That was the concept of humility. Now, what was he trying to say by using a child? First of all, a child is very dependent. A child is entirely dependent on the parents, on the family unit that's around them. And when Jesus said, 
that if you're going to serve me, you've got to be humble, you've got to be like a child. The first thing he was saying is you have to recognize how dependent you've got to be on me. That you've got to be dependent on me to take care of you. You've got to be dependent on me for the purpose of your life. You've got to be dependent on me for the wisdom that you need to live. You've got to be dependent on me. And that's the idea of the humility here that I am dependent on him. Second, a child is loyal. A child doesn't know any better but to be loyal and to be devoted to the family and to the parents. In fact, if a child's not going to be loyal and devoted, you basically have to teach that child by being very disloyal to that child not to be loyal and devoted because children will naturally be loyal and devoted to their families. And so the idea when Jesus says, if you're going to serve me, you got to be humble, is that we are loyal to Jesus and we are devoted to the Lord Jesus Christ. Being as a child, humble before him. Now, how do we get to that humility? How do we stay at that place of humility? Well, let me tell you the first place we don't go. We don't go to the mirror. The more focused we are in the mirror and on ourselves, the more prideful we become. The more it is about us and what gets it for us and we like it and what feeds our egos, the more it's about us and the more time we spend in the mirror, the worse problems we're going to have at knowing God's will and walking in God's will. Because the more I look at me and what I want and who I am and it's about me, the worse time we're going to have. But all of us have just got this natural tendency to want to focus on the mirror and to look at what's in the mirror and to get obsessed with what's in the mirror of our lives. And that just takes us in the wrong direction. So how do we get in the right direction? Well, a lot of you that got iPhones, they've got something on there called FaceTime. And what do you do with FaceTime? When you hit the FaceTime button, you are looking at the person that you are talking to. Now, that's not always a pleasant experience. Sometimes when I'm on FaceTime, I get worried about what I look at because they're looking back at me and they get to see me the way that, that I am. I don't know if this has ever happened to you. If those of you that use FaceTime, have you ever been in FaceTime and you're in the middle of a conversation, all of a sudden you think, you know, I really didn't pay much attention to myself before I got on FaceTime. I didn't pay a whole lot of attention to the environment that I'm in, uh, you know, when I'm talking on FaceTime, et cetera. FaceTime can be a convicting experience if we're not careful about it. But if FaceTime is you get to look at the person that you're talking to and they are looking back at you and you get to see them in their environment as they are. They're doing the same thing to you in FaceTime. What am I driving at here? Folks, the way that we stay humble is having a lot of FaceTime with the Lord. Having a lot of FaceTime with the Lord. We are looking upon the Lord as He is. He is looking upon us as we are. And we are carrying on a conversation in life with Him. Now, where do we do FaceTime with the Lord? We do FaceTime with the Lord in His Word. When I get into the Word of God and I spend time with the Lord in His Word, I'm looking upon Him and I am seeing Him. And as I look upon Him and I engage Him, I am doing FaceTime with the Lord and I am doing FaceTime with the Lord Jesus Christ. And say, Pastor, how do I get at that? Just simply do this. When you open your Bible, wherever you go in the Word of God, say, Lord, would you do this with me? 
Father, I want to see you, and Lord, I want to understand you, and I want to do FaceTime with you. I want to see you, and I want to experience you in a depth that I haven't experienced you in before. I want to see you in ways that I haven't seen you before. I need something new. I need something fresh. He is standing there more than willing and excited for you to have that experience. And so, Lord, I want to do that FaceTime with you to understand that when you and I do FaceTime with him, he's doing it with us. And so, He's seeing us just the way that we are. And I know that can be a little scary at times, but man, that is so liberating. I don't have to put on a front with Jesus. I don't have to be something that I'm not when I'm with Jesus. I'm not here to try to impress Jesus. I'm just here to be myself with Him, to open myself fully before Him, to let Him show me who I really am, and let Him work in me and through me and shape and form me to be who He wants me to be, not for myself, but for His honor and for His glory. Now, sometimes we say, well, you know, I want to do that, but man, I get so confused when I try to do that, particularly with the Old Testament. Well, let me share something with you. I got a puzzle here of a fish. Okay, this is my kind of puzzle. comes out of the preschool area. And big crossword puzzle deals just totally overwhelm me, but I think I can handle something like this. For a lot of us, particularly the Bible in general and the Old Testament in particular is like this puzzle, except it's not together. It's like this. It's a whole bunch of confusing pieces. And we look at it and we're like, how in the world does this stuff fit together so that I can understand it? You know, there's nothing worse if you feel like you walk up to a puzzle and the pieces are just scattered all over the place and you're trying to figure out how in the world can I put this thing together. And you got an idea in the back of your mind, if I got to put this thing together, it would really be awesome, but I don't have a f- clue as to how to put it together. Wednesday night at 6.30, we're going to be talking about how the Old Testament fits together. And we're going to be talking about how you put the puzzle of the Old Testament together so that you can read it, study it, and do FaceTime with God in it. Love for you to join us at 6.30 as we go through that Wednesday night. Now, humility. I'm doing FaceTime with the Lord, that time with Him, so that He will produce humility with me. Now, notice what Paul says next. I've served the Lord, hell with all humility. And next he says, with tears. And he cites later on what he means by that. Paul got involved with the people that he worked with. The people in Ephesus had seen the compassion and the love and even the tears with Paul as he loved them, as he was patient with them, as he poured his life into them. And folks, when you and I answer God's call, whatever it is, and we become involved in the lives of people, it's going to be just in that. It is involvement. The call to serve the Lord and to work with folks is never a calling to serve the Lord and work with folks on the other end of a 10-foot pole or the other end of like a fast food where we just sort of run past people's lives and, you know, throw a happy meal at them and go on about our business. People hurt. People are real. People bleed. You name it. And it takes time, etc. We do a lot of talk in church nowadays about discipleship. This is what I've discovered about discipleship. Everybody likes to talk about it. Nobody does it. Nobody wants to do it. Why? Because discipleship is tough and discipleship is messy. The easiest thing Jesus did was to say to the disciples, follow me. The toughest thing he had to do was live with them for the next three and a half years. 
and deal with them for the next three and a half years. I love those verses where it says, Jesus sighed. Can you imagine his facial expression with those guys? Probably rolled his eyes, breathed deep, and wanted probably at times to just be able to call down, you know, some good lightning on them. Because discipleship is tough, and discipleship is messy. And discipleship means we have to get involved in people's lives, and we have to give the best that we've got to them, and sometimes they don't accept it and appreciate it. And that's what he's talking about here. He says, I served among you, and I poured my life into you, and at times it required tears on my part. He said, with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. Paul said, I had to pay a price for serving the Lord. Nowadays, we would use the term cyberbullying to describe part of what Paul went through. And notice he uses the term trials that were plots. In other words, they literally strategized against him. The last time that Paul had been in Ephesus prior to this meeting with the Ephesian elders in Miletus, he had gone into the city to do what he had done there for years, and that is to share the gospel and to minister to the people. And there was a guy there who was a prominent businessman that did not like Paul. And so what he did was he began to get people riled up in Ephesus, and he started spreading a whole lot of garbage about him. And if it had been in this context today, we would have said he started cyberbullying Paul. He basically went out there and just started putting all kinds of crud out on the community grapevine about Paul. And he got people all worked up. So what the crowd in Ephesus did is they didn't really know what they were doing. They didn't know why they were upset, but they just knew they were having fun being upset. So they all marched down to where Paul is, and they were basically getting ready to beat Paul up and kill him. And the town clerk stood up and said, you guys are about to have a riot here, and all of us are going to get in trouble and thrown in jail if you all keep on doing this. And he calmed the crowd down so Paul could get out of town. That's what Paul's talking about here when he talks about the plots. People were plotting against him. Now, folks, I'd like to say to you this morning, if you serve Jesus and you love Jesus and you walk with Jesus, that everybody's going to get up and walk around your life and pat you on the back and affirm you for it and think you're the greatest thing since sliced bread. But a lot of times people do the exact opposite. They start strategizing against you. They start plotting against you. They'll start trash-talking you. They'll start cyber-bullying you for your obedience to the Lord. And that's just part of what comes with being faithful to the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, I have served the Lord. Second, he says in verse 20 and 21, I've lived with courage. He says, I did not shrink back from proclaiming the gospel to you. The word shrink back means I didn't draw back from sharing the gospel with you. I didn't draw back from sharing with you what was to your advantage and what was profitable. And what was that? Notice what he says. Repentance toward God and faith towards our Lord Jesus Christ. The idea of repentance is a change of mind toward God. In other words, I have it. I proclaim to you what I had to. I shared it with you so that you could change your mind towards God. In other words, you would start thinking about obedience and serving Him and how that got played out in the situations of your life. And a faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. What is faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, first of all, we saw this last week. That term, Lord Jesus Christ, speaks of Him as your Master, your Savior, and your Messiah. In other words, the one who's got the power and He's got the wisdom. Faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. What does it mean to have faith in Jesus? It means I take all that I am and lean it into all that He is. 
I take all that I am and I lean it into all that he is. I take all of the sin and the disobedience and the crud in my life and just lean it into Jesus. I take all of my potential and my ability and I lean it into Jesus. I take all of the failures and mess of the past and I lean it into Jesus. I take the successes and I lean them into Jesus. All the good I lean into him, all the bad I lean in and I lean it into all that he is into all of his glory, his love, and his power. I take all that I am and I lean it into all that he is. That is the idea of faith in him. When I was a kid, my uh, dad and I were involved in a father-son uh, program called the Indian Guides. And once a year, we would gather out of these big campgrounds and we'd have these all these other guys and we'd be out there with a big campground, a big campfire, and all of that. And I remember... One year, and I was probably about the first or second grade, we had the big campfire that night down by the lake. And when the fire was over with, we had to go back to the cabin. But to get from where the big campfire was and the crowd was to get to where the cabin was, you had to go down this trail, and the trail was pitch black dark. There was no light whatsoever. And I remember as we left the warmth and all the guys and the fire and stepped into that forest to walk to where the cabins were, it got real dark real quick. And I began to get scared. But I did two things. The first thing I did was I took my dad's hand and held on to his hand. And the second thing I did was I just trusted my dad that we were going to go to the right place, that he was going to get me step by step to the destination we were headed, and that he'd take care of me as we walked down that path in the darkness. What is faith? Faith says to the Lord, Lord, when we begin to go down the path, and I don't know where the next step is going to take me, and it seems total darkness as we go down this path, I'm going to take your hand, Jesus, and I'm going to trust you every step of where we're going. Now, let me share something with you. It's often easier to take his hand in the dark than it is in the light. Because when we're in the light, we don't think we need to take his hand. But if we don't take his hand in the light, we're going to end up in a really dark night wandering around. And I've discovered something. You can get lost in daylight as easy as you can get lost at night. And we can get lost in the daylight of our lives without Jesus just as easy as we can get lost in the nighttime of life for that Jesus. Faith is saying, Lord, I'm going to take your hand and I'm going to walk with you at your pace each step to the destination that you have chosen for me. Finally, he says, verse 22, I live by the Holy Spirit. Fascinating word there. He says, I was constrained by the Holy Spirit. The word constrained there means to bind or tie something. It was also used to speak of being married to someone. And what Paul is saying there is, I am literally married to the Holy Spirit. I am bound to him. I am tied to him. He is giving me the guidance and the direction that I need. Living in the will of God means I am bound to the leadership and the guidance and the voice of the Holy Spirit of God. How do you do that? Real simple. As you and I are in his word every day, as you and I talk to him in prayer and allow him to speak to us as we worship him, what he begins to do inside of us is he begins to lead us, he begins to guide us, and the purpose, the purpose of being in his word and in prayer daily is to get us bound to him and tied to him 
so that the Spirit of God can speak to us and lead us and guide us. Now, notice what he says in verse 22. Fascinating words there. He says, I do not have any account for my life. He says, I'm constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what's going to happen to me there, verse 22. And then he goes on in verse 24, and he says, But I do not account my life of any value. The word account there was taken from the mathematical feel of that day. It literally means it was an accounting term. I don't calculate my life of any value, nor is precious to myself, if only I may finish my course. That is the idea of the journey of my life, the purpose of my life, and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus Christ. And what is that? To testify or to basically declare with conviction what the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel being the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And he says, the grace of God. That is God's love, his glory, and his holiness. Paul is saying here, when I look at my life, I don't take what I want to do and add it up and then compare it to Jesus and, and try to see what, how it weighs out. He says, I don't account of my life having any value or precious to myself if only I may finish my course in the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus. Paul is saying, when I look at life, the top value of my life, the overwhelming value of my life is to know Jesus and to walk with Jesus. When you look at that, nothing compares in life. Nothing can, can pile up. Nothing. You can't add up a column where you can top out Jesus. Knowing Him, walking with Him, serving Him, every day probing deeper into who He is. He's saying nothing can top that. Nothing can add up in another column that's going to be more valuable than that and greater than that. And so what do I do? He says, I want to finish my course. I want to finish the journey of my life. For what purpose? So that I can testify. I can declare the gospel, the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ and His grace, which is His glory and His power in action. In other words, Paul's saying the purpose, the, the heart throb, the blood pulsating through my life is Jesus and who he is and what he has done to save me and change me and what he is doing in my life every day. I, I, I move, I come in contact with folks, and I struggle with this sometimes in my own life. We go through seasons in our lives, and sometimes we're in a season that's really exciting and a whole lot of good stuff is happening and things are falling in place. And then if you live long enough, you're going to go through some seasons when nothing seems to be falling in place and the dreams don't seem to be happening and it's getting terribly frustrated. Or this season you had here when everything was just really happening is followed by a season where nothing seems to be happening. And then sometimes you just get clobbered in life, and it's so tempting to fall into these places of depression uh, where people just want to give up and give out and withdraw inside themselves and withdraw from life and just say, this, this thing game isn't worth it anymore. And what Paul is saying here is, I'm not doing that. I want to finish my course. I want to finish the journeys God, God's got for me. 
The journey the Lord God has for you in your life is not subject to somebody else or something else that wants to screw up that journey. And we don't have to let it screw up the journey. It's our decision to let our journey get screwed up. Because the journey he's got for you, it comes from him, and he'll see you through, and he'll see the journey through if you just work with him and let him. We're the ones who sit back and say, Lord, have mercy on me. I'm the victim. It's all going down the tubes. And I see good people who throw the towel in on life really early in life when they don't have to. Now, Paul's sitting here. He can't even go back to Ephesus because they were trying to kill him. He's being told in every city. When you get to Jerusalem, they're not going to have a welcome party for you there. They're going to beat you up. You're going to get thrown. He tells the Ephesian elders, this is the last time I'm going to see you. But what does he say? He doesn't say I'm going to run hide on a rock somewhere and throw in the towel and give up. He says, I want to finish the course. Listen, God needs completers. He just not doesn't need starters. He got all the starters he needs. God is looking for completers who will run the race, and finish the course and live out the will that he has for them. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning that you have called us and are calling us to finish the course, Lord, to run the race. And Lord, sometimes it's easy to run it and sometimes it is hard as all get out. Some days, Lord, the path is as smooth as it can be, and other days, Lord, it looks like the path's got rocks all in it, and it's up and down hills, etc., but that's not the issue. It's who we're walking with, who we are following, and that's you, Jesus. You are calling us, directing us to finish that course, and Lord, it all starts at your feet. It starts in your presence. And so, Lord, in these moments right now, we ask that you would help us to recommit to you that we're going to finish the course. We're going to go the distance with you and Jesus. We're not going to start at the feet of our self-pity. We're not going to start at the feet of, Lord, our sin. We're not going to start at the feet of our selfishness or our victimization or whatever it is. We are going to start at the feet of Jesus and then walk from there. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, in just a moment, the choir is going to sing. And as they sing, I'm going to invite you, if you've never given your life to Christ, to walk the aisle, I would love to pray with you about giving your life to Jesus Christ this day and choosing to follow him. If you want to come and pray and kneel around the front, we invite you to do that. If you want to pray right where you are, then I would encourage you just to, to just talk with the Lord there and recommit to him. If you sense the Lord's leading you to become part of our church family, we invite you to come. If God's calling you to ministry, you need to surrender to whatever it is that he's calling you to. I encourage you to step out and say, Lord, I'm going to trust you in this and follow you in this. Father, have your way with us in these moments of invitation, we ask. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand prayerfully. Choir is going to sing. Come if you will.